Welcome to the Business of PT podcast with today's guest, Bobby Capuccio. My name is Adam Daniel. I've delivered over 25,000 PT sessions, trained over 10,000 PTs in 20 countries, created and delivered education for some of the world's leading fitness brands, owned a gym, and with the help of my expert guests, all of whom have had great success in different ways, we will dive into how to build a profitable, robust, resilient, and most importantly, a PT business that you can be proud of whilst having some fun along the way. The Business of PT podcast is part of The Collective, a network of fitness industry professionals whose purpose is to help the industry share, collaborate, and grow. Before we start, a brief word from this season's sponsor. This episode is supported by Mia Bodytech. Are you looking to attract new members or PT clients? Do you want to tap into new audiences and generate new revenue streams? Mia Body Tech is the global leader in EMS training. EMS stands for Electro Muscle Stimulation, a highly effective form of training that is huge in Europe and is starting to boom in the UK, and is bridging the gap between fitness and health. EMS training offers the same benefits as a high intensity workout, but without the impact or stress on the joints making it ideal for people of all ages and abilities, and even those recovering from injury. Mere Body Tech's technology is also medically certified to alleviate non-specific back pain and combat age-related loss of muscle. If you haven't tried it yet, you really should. Visit mere-bodytech.com to book a trial. Welcome everyone to the Business of PT. And today I've got a very special guest. It is someone who has influenced my career in so many different ways over the last 20 years or so. And I'm very, very privileged to have him on with this today. And that is Bobby Capuccio. And Bobby, whereabouts are you in the world at the moment? I'm in Los Angeles, California at the moment. Los Angeles. So thank you so much for joining us. I think you are five, six hours behind. So it's kind of the start of your day at the moment. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm like I say, over the last 20 years of my, my personal training career, I have been fortunate to spend time with you and learn so much from you via primarily PTA Global and then in recent years, one-to-one chats, which has just been amazing. And yeah, so excited to get you on here today because I just want to tap into that wealth of information, experience, ideas, and some of those ideas are a little bit out there, which I love. Some are really <laughs> And I just want to get into those ideas and, and how that might help personal trainers grow their businesses, sustain their businesses, and ultimately just help them develop as individuals. So for those who aren't aware of Bobby's background, I'm actually going to ask Bobby to give us a little insight into it because it is, it is so varied. And I'll probably get it a little bit wrong. So I'm going to ask you, Bobby, can you just give us an oversight of maybe where you've come from, how you got into the world of fitness and kind of where you are loosely at at the moment? Well, yeah, sure. I, I, before I do that, let me just say thank you, because I think, you know, for the audience, we met, we met in Edinburgh many years ago, didn't we? And we hit it off straight away. That was, it was brilliant. We had a fun time, me, you, John Hardy. And then I had an opportunity to go to, what was it? Heston, I believe, and see you present. And you were just brilliant. And we've just built a relationship ever since then. So thank you for having me. And wait, wait, hold on. Where were we? There was a question there. 
And I just complete already right into the podcast. I derailed the entire episode. Those of you who aren't familiar with Bobby, you will notice that he'll go off on all sorts of tangents. You know, something that is always great is that you, if you ever see him on stage, he goes off on tangents, goes off a completely different route. However, he always brings it back to what he was talking about initially. He's very good at that. However, Bobby, I was just asking you to introduce yourself. What's, what's your background? Okay. Well, I do have Tourette's. That's my disclaimer for the rest of this episode. My background has been layered quite a bit in the fitness industry. I started off as a trainer, as most of us do. I was an area director. I was salesperson. I was director of fitness, director of sales. I've been an international presenter, author, consultant within the fitness industry. I've, I owned a leadership and education company. I've worked with a couple of other prominent ones. I've helped to build teams of extraordinary people around the globe, which at this stage of my career is probably what I'm most proud of. It's probably what energizes me the most is not just the education and the presenting, which is great. I think you have to stay in touch with that if you're going to develop people within that domain. And there's a lot of different opinions around that. But being able to go out and find people who are smarter and more talented than you, but just be able to bring them together and help them create a dynamic where the sum, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, rather. I think that that's what I'm most enthusiastic about. Love it. And what, what John said to me there was this, you said this idea that bringing people who are smarter and more intelligent than you together. And I think that's something sometimes people forget about is that actually, you know what, when we actually are humble and we, we know and we understand what we don't know, and we bring in people that know more than us in certain areas. That's how we grow. And I think it was Steve Jobs was asked, how are you so successful? He said exactly that. He says, I employ people who are smarter than me. And I think that's such a powerful way to go through life. It's just surrounded. Well, in my case, I don't really have much of a choice. I won't be able to hire hardly anyone. So, okay. So it's an amazing, amazing CV as it were you have there, Bobby. And we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about what you've done. However, this, this, this episode, this series is all about helping personal trainers grow in, in whatever way works for them. So what I'd like to dig into right now is what in the last 20 years or so have been some of the really key takeaways, the biggest impacts that you feel you've seen or you've learned that will help the listener, i.e. the personal trainer out there, maybe grow their business. So we're looking maybe for two or three things that really stick out and go, you know what, this is what PTs need to be doing. You know, there's a few things because I was asked this question by a really good friend of, of someone who I, I know for a long time, someone who I have a lot of respect for, Susan Sly. And she was like, what's the number one thing that you learned in business? I remember looking back on my answer and going, why did you start with that? That was the stupidest thing ever. And then I listened to the podcast. I said, no, that's an honest answer. And it's critical. And it's know yourself. I think one of the things traditionally that personal trainers have in their advantage is there's a deep resonant reason why they get into the industry. It's not like, okay, well, my dad was a trainer and my granddad and granddad, and there's, there's just a history of trainers in my family. So I guess that's, it doesn't work like that. There was, well, this turned my life around, or I discovered something through sport, through exercise. In my case, fitness probably saved my life and I'm not being dramatic. It literally 
saved my life. And trainers get into the field because they have a deep why that doesn't allow them to do anything else. It's almost like Bukowski's essay on don't try. If it doesn't come roaring out of you, for a lot of trainers, this comes roaring out of them. I think where we get lost sometimes in all that passion is connecting it to the end user and connecting it strategically and understanding ourselves through self-reflection enough to know what environment is our critical dynamic. In other words, it draws out the very best in us. We're going to thrive rather than continually struggling to just survive. And one of those is, are you an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur? Entrepreneurs have been glorified and rightfully so over the past few years. Being an entrepreneur, starting your own business, it's not something that makes your parents nervous or disappointed anymore. It's considered a badge of honor. It is extremely difficult to do. But there, when you look at the term entrepreneur, where does it come from? Well, it comes from the French economist J.B. Say in the year 1800. And what he was talking about is an entrepreneur is an individual who has a series of resources that they're able to take from low to high yield. So what are your resources? What's, what's unique about you? And what's usually unique about you is stuff that you value to the point when you execute, when you express your values in the world, they're communicated as signature strengths. So Dr. Martin Seligman, and he, he's, he has the VIA assessment, the values in action. And why I love that assessment is because of that exact reason. When you go through and you identify your highest values, your highest values are expressed through action as your highest strengths. And it's important to know what your highest values are, what your critical strengths are, but equally, maybe even more important is to understand what they're not. Are you someone that thrives as an entrepreneur where you work within an organization or are you psychologically unemployable, which is fine, and you'll never be happy there. And that will be a constant emotional and psychological source of friction. And you need to go out on your own. I think it's critical to understand that. And that might change over time. But where are you right now? So you could start to maximize and leverage both your inner world and your outer world in terms of your environment in a way that yields the most amount of value to the people around you, which is the name of the game. Your level of quote unquote success, whatever that means to you is based on what's the level of value that you provide for others from their perspective, not just your perspective. So that's number one. Number two is continual learning and development. And that's almost a cliche. Like who doesn't say that? But, they, you know, one of the most misquoted books in self-help is the book Mindset by Carol Dweck. Mm. People say, well, you got to have a fixed, fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. And they reframe it where a growth mindset is whatever that individual thinks is important. What Carol Dweck was saying so beautifully, so eloquently, and in a lot of ways, so simply, was that a fixed mindset is where you believe that attributes are immutable. So I'm either intelligent or I'm not. I'm either cut out for this work or I'm not, where a growth mindset believes in the malleability of innate attributes. So I can grow over time. So every single failure is a learning opportunity. And it's not so important. What are my innate attributes? What's really important is what is my process and affinity for learning and development? 
So in other words, becoming is more important than being. And if you're willing, if, if you're engaged in something that you truly value, well, yeah, outcomes are important, but is the payoff in the process? So in other words, divorced from the outcomes, would you still engage in what you're engaging in? Because if that's the case, look at a kid playing, like kids who play video games hours a day and their parents are like, oh, you're never going to amount to something. You're so lazy. Why don't you do your homework? They've never sat down and tried to play that video game. It is brutally hard. It's frustrating. I would have about five minutes of patience with that at max, but this kid's going to do that even though there's not an outcome. They're, they're, they're not going to become a professional gamer. Some do, but most won't. They're playing and failing and coming up against challenges and making continual mistakes because they get to do that. They're playing for the sake of play itself. And if you're doing this, not just for the outcome, but for the process, you'll continually learn and grow and you'll make a lot of mistakes, hopefully. I mean, hopefully they won't be catastrophic mistakes with your client that result in <laughs> psychological or physical injury. So let me be clear about that. But you'll make enough mistakes to revel in the fact that those mistakes give you the leverage points, the, the points of insight to be in a continual process of becoming. And when you take a look at DC and Ryan self-determination theory, intrinsic motivation, which is probably the only sustainable source of motivation, comes from autonomy, doing things for your own deeply important reasons relatedness relatedness in my mind is is intrinsic and extrinsic you're in a reference group that cares about you deeply not just what you can do for them but you as a human being and there's a relatedness between what you're what you most want to do and who you most want to be so there's a link to values and when those two things are in play the third element is competence you know we, we have this belief in our society today and I think it's incomplete and presumptuous and, and at best and self-congratulatory at worst, where people are lazy. People just don't do the things that they should do. And that's why they don't get the results that they want to get. There's a lot to unpack there. I think the litmus test is if you're doing something where you're constantly quote unquote lazy, it's not a character flaw, it's misalignment. Because when we are doing something that is intrinsically important to us, the pursuit of mastery becomes an internal drive. We revel in it. A tennis player doesn't want to play against someone who is at their level. They want to play against someone who's just a little bit better, who stretches and challenges them, especially when you're winning against that person. It's brilliant. Not like I could ever win a tennis match versus anybody, but it's just, it's just working for an example. If you're playing against someone who's not at your level, that's boredom. So that, that's kind of where you want to be. So understand who you are and who you're not, what you value, what you don't, and commit to continual learning and development. I think those, those are kind of two things with a lot of things packed into them. The third thing is client at the center. Because it, it, Peter Drucker said it the best. The purpose of a business is not to generate revenue or profit because that requires other things in place in order to set up the systems that produce that revenue. It's about creating and keeping your customer. You know, I, I was reading something on LinkedIn where someone said, look, in a business, you're always going to have the same major objectives, cut costs, efficiency, and profit. And that's great. But 
what happens when there's a local restaurant everybody loves and this place is famous within the community and they're doing amazing and a big corporation comes along and says yeah we're going to buy this business because they're doing amazing right so it, rather than recreating the system kind of like ray Kroc with the mcdonald's brothers we're just going to buy it and then it's all about efficiency cutting costs and profit all very good things by the way but what they're forgetting is at the heart of the business is creating and keeping a customer so in order to reduce costs they start watering down the soup they start using cheaper ingredients they don't pay as much attention to presentation and experience well the first year they're doing amazing and whoever's running that place the company loves them because you've increased profitability you have a, you have the loyalty of your customer base so costs are lower but the volume of business stays the same or even grows but the next year people start to realize you know this place kind of sucks compared to where it used to and, and you start having a mass exodus of customers and it's like oh, what happened to this person this person was was a legend running this business for us last year uh you know this year they just lost it you know maybe we need to get somebody who who can execute even more efficiently and you start to perpetuate that cycle never looking at maybe it was Maybe it was the compromise of the value proposition. That, that, that is one of the reasons why I am such an advocate of coaching and inquiry over advocacy. Okay, but I'm going to jump in there because there was some amazing things in there that I want to unpack, dig into and explore a little bit because I'm sure for those listening, there's some stuff there that made sense. There's some stuff there they probably hadn't heard about or were unaware of. So the first thing I want to in to dive into is your first idea, this idea of, uh, I guess, know your why, which has been popularized by Simon Sinek, I guess, in recent years. Yeah, it's understanding why you do what you do. And like you said, I mean, most trainers will go into this industry because they have an understanding or a deep awareness of that they want to help people change in some way, shape or form, or they've come from a sports background. Or there's, there's that deep why behind it. There's something that you mentioned in there was about understanding your becoming more self-aware and to do so you had to be self-reflective now in recent years it's become a very trendy thing to do there's there's a very popular ted talk where i think it's i can't remember her name however i'll pop it in the, in the show details and she talks about self-awareness and her research recently has shown that 95 percent of people that think they're self-aware aren't self-aware and, and that's a big thing out there is we all say, oh, we're self-aware. Yeah, the reality is we're very rarely are we truly self-aware. So my question, Bobby, is how do we become more self-aware? How do we become more self-reflective? What do we need to do? I love that question. I'm going to answer it a couple of ways. One is to develop an internal dialogue. Yes, I'm encouraging you actually talk to yourself. I mean, not to the point where like you have to go see someone, but talk to yourself from the opposite perspective. Everything you think you believe, seek out people who believe exactly the opposite. And rather than doing what the majority of us do, and I'm not saying the majority of you, I do mean the majority of us do, where we ignore all the information that contradicts our deeply held beliefs and values and practices or might threaten us. And we embrace groups and beliefs and opinions that support our own and align with our own. Those people are great, but they're also redundant. Who does not believe what I believe? And if I were them, why would I believe what they believe? 
and argue with yourself continually on everything because everything is negotiable. What's non-negotiable is what you value. You get to decide that. I value this. I'm committed to this. But when it comes to the way your business is run, when it comes to why people do the things that they do, especially if you have a negative connotation around what those behaviors mean, think again, as Robert Sapolsky would say so eloquently and succinctly, it's complicated. That's pretty much the summary of his 700 plus page book, Behave, which is exceedingly well-researched. I mean, it's Robert Sapolsky. Why would right. it not be? read that, Bobby, based upon your recommendation. And it's an amazing book, that's for sure. If you read that book, and there's a few more we can add to the list, and you have zero doubt in your mind about the complexity of behavior and the fact that some of your assumptions about people might be wrong, read the book again, because you're operating the cognitive biases. So one is always debating yourself on your core beliefs and practices. Second thing, um, I was I was in a leadership meeting for a major health club chain, and the president of the company. This was the second organization I've worked with this individual, and, and brilliant, brilliant guy. He gets up in response to because it, it was the same thing. Oh, you know, our people out in the field they're not executing. If if only we can get those screw ups out in the field to function as well as we do on the executive team. Oh man, this company would be utopia. I mean, it can't be anything we're doing. It has to, it has to be those grunts out in the field. And being quite frustrated with this for a lot of obvious reasons, he, he gets up, he says, listen, if any of you are any damn good at all, it's all your fault. Now, did he mean that everything that happens in your business and your life is your fault? No, I mean, there are people who had ridiculous challenges that were unanticipated during the pandemic. Was that your fault? No, but here's, here's what's amazing about just as a mental exercise, assuming this is my fault. It doesn't allow space for you to displace psychologically distance blame or in any way, shape or form deal with the internal dialogues and rationalizations that stop you from learning and growing and changing in powerful and meaningful ways. So when things happen that are outside of your control that necessitate you adapting and learning, we all talk about being able to pivot and we all talk about mindset and we throw all these terms out, but to your point, how exactly do you do that? And one way is say, okay, this is, this is my fault. And, and even if it's not, what if it were my fault? How would I respond to this? It's a great mental exercise. In reality, not everything that happens is your fault. That's, that's as absolutely obnoxiously delusional as saying that nothing that happens is your fault. But everything is our responsibility because if not us, who? And responsibility means our ability to respond that's a great mental exercise. So those, those are two ways. So what I'm hearing there, if, in essence, Bobby, is this idea that you're asking yourself questions from different perspectives. And I think, as you say, there's a lot of people, we don't, we're not very good at that. We don't like to challenge the norm. We don't like to challenge our biases. We're quite happy moving through life. Yet to truly understand who you are and be self-aware and truly self-aware, it is like you say, it's about looking at things from different perspectives, asking those tough questions. Well, 
what if this was my fault? I love the way you said that. Even if it isn't, well, what if it was? What would you do differently? Or how would you respond to that? And that's brilliant. So I guess what we've got there is this idea that to be more self-aware, look in from a different perspective and ask those tough, awkward questions and don't surround yourself with like-minded people. It's that idea of groupthink. It's if you, if you go out with the same friends with the same opinions and the same ideas, or if you surround yourself with personal trainers who have similar thought processes, then no one's ever going to challenge you and you're, and you're unlikely to, to truly grow and become or identify who you're, what you're about. So challenge yourself by surrounding yourself with very different trainers, coaches, people around you. Who will challenge you? It's uncommon advice, but I think it's brilliant advice. Obviously, there is, there's context and yeah. value around surround yourself with like-minded people. But I think it's overused. And a lot of times I think it's a scam. I think it's a manipulation tactic because if you're in my group, you're going through my workshops, you're going through my mentorships, of course you want to surround yourself with people that don't question our methodology or our culture, but where you really learn. And I'm not talking about surround yourself who, who's with people whose values you're diametrically opposed to because they're maladaptive. I'm just saying that I think that's brilliant advice because if you're surrounding yourself with different types of people, it keeps you in check. It stops you from reading your headlines. And we talk about different perspectives. Another exercise to engage in as a trainer is different positions, mm -hmm. perceptual positions. So understand, like, like understand your point of view. It's not abandoning your point of view. It's being able to anchor your point of view and still step outside of it and not be defined and shaped and limited by that point of view. So that's first position, all right? What, what is it that I believe innately and why do I believe this? Second position is the person who I'm talking to, whether it's a client or whether it's a colleague, what's their perspective? Argue from their perspective and, and frame your thoughts and your position around how they would do it based on how they think. Third position is, you know what, if I was just someone sitting down at the table listening right now, so third position would be you, the listener right now, listening to me and Adam speaking, how, how would you perceive this as someone who's just at the table, but not actively engaged in the conversation? And fourth position would be universally, how do most people perceive the context of what we're talking about? That'll give you a lot of vantage points without being threatened by, well, I don't believe this because, or this just isn't me. We know it's not you. That's why you're taking different positions. You're the first one. We get that. You can hold that, protect that. Now, step outside of that and just see if you notice anything different. That's powerful stuff. And I mean, if anyone has not done that exercise, I'd highly recommend it. When you've got a problem or a challenge, yeah, look at those four positions. If you're unsure or to re-listen to this again, great. You can just Google that as well. And it's, it's a very... Common, I say common, what I told you, a common practice to do and just understanding different people's perspective. How do they perceive it? How do it feel? There's a word you use as well, Bobby, is feel. Sometimes we just look at it very objectively and we forget about looking, well, how does that make me feel? How do I respond to that feeling as well? And I know we're getting quite deep here and we're kind of talking about how to be a great PT here in essence. Yeah, this is all really important and powerful stuff. And it's interesting, I, one of the, the, one of the other episodes I had, I don't know if you remember her or know of her, probably a girl, a woman called Katie Bulmer Cook, who a long time, 10 years ago, won Fit Pro of the Year at the Fit Pro convention in 2013. So you might have come across her there. 
And, and, and we were, we were talking about this kind of thing about how does she learn? And to your point of this idea of, of going outside your, your, your norm, going outside of the people you would normally go to, to learn from. So what she does is she deliberately seeks courses, continue education from outside of the health and fitness industry. She goes yeah. to environments that constantly challenge her way of thinking so that she can come back to the industry with a different perspective, a different outlook, and maybe some new ideas. And that was, that, that's brilliant. And I think any personal trainer listening is that don't just, and in turn, go linking into the continued development as well is when you do go on a course, don't just think you have to go on a course that's health and fitness professionals or personal trainers. What can you learn from other industries that will challenge your way of thinking, that will allow you to think differently or rethink your current thought processes? So that, that is probably one of the single most valuable pieces of advice anyone could receive. But, but again, understand when you have the difference in a growth and fixed mindset, when you have a growth mindset, when you're constantly challenging your own belief systems, it is exhilarating. Your confidence grows because you understand nuance is connected to development. With a fixed mindset, it makes you very uncomfortable. And when you run up against challenges to your thought processes, it has the opposite effect. It diminishes your confidence. And, and imagine this for a second. So imagine that there are three people on stage in a panel discussion at a fitness conference. And the first person, they, they only got into fitness within a year or two, and they haven't really learned much, but they are super confident about what it is they know because they don't have enough expertise to recognize their own blind spots. And everything they say is simple. Here's two things to do, you know, to change your life in the next 90 days. And there's zero nuance, 100% certainty. The, the second person on stage, well, they have a couple of years experience and they know enough to understand that they doubt what they know. Because they've learned so much that now they understand the, the divide between what I need to learn and what I actually know is immense. And they speak with hesitancy, but they do have value. Everybody in the audience dismisses them immediately because they're not showing quote unquote confidence. And then you have on the stage, someone who has like three PhDs, they've worked with multiple types of populations. They have hands-on practical experience. They are a bona fide expert and they speak with nuance. They, they also speak with a lot of confidence, but their answer is some version of it depends. And at the end, they're thanking all the speakers. The expert gets a lot of applause because people in the room, some of them do recognize the person. The second individual gets polite applause, but no enthusiasm at all. The first person who has the least knowledge, least experience gets a standing ovation. That is the favorite person in the room. And most people in the room are following that person. And you're thinking, wow, if most people are solidly behind this person, their thought processes must be the right one. And that is a growth trap because nothing can be true. Nothing can be more untrue rather. It's about nuance and it's scary. And when your confidence is based on your innate attributes, it, that's, that, that, that's a lot of, that's potentially troublesome. So it's being 
comfortable with what you don't know. Reveling in it. Reveling, I love that word, reveling. This episode is supported by F-Cubed Fitness. Making spaces for the body to move is what F-Cubed Fitness excel at. Providing an all-in-the-box solution of quality, movement-based products for commercial use within the health and fitness sector. Our creative solutions mean that we offer an immersive experience when buying from us. Our open-mindedness and extensive knowledge ensure your movement space is brought to life. Our philosophy of fun, fit and fresh translates into the enjoyment of activity to empower the body and mind, allowing for a fresh approach to purchasing and a truly special customer journey being delivered time after time. Get your free, fun consultation from fcubedfitness.com. Right, I want to move on from here, Bob, because we could spend a lot of time talking about this. So I'm hoping that it's taken some great tips from that idea of self-awareness, self-reflection, and challenging the way you think about things with different perspectives and people that you maybe surround yourself with. So there's a throw two words you used that earlier on, which was this idea of entrepreneur versus intrapreneur. And I'd love to just dig into this a little bit, Bobby, for a couple of reasons. I know beforehand or offline, we were talking a little bit about some frustrations around PT world or fitness world and marketing and this kind of thing. And it's something we see a lot at the moment, or I certainly do in the UK, in social media. So I did, everyone has to be an entrepreneur. Everyone's got to have a side hustle. And you're always looking for that next thing. And, and some people excel at that. However, a narrative that I constantly see and frustrates me is me anyway, is this idea that as personal trainers, as fitness professionals, you, you have to have a six figure business. You have to have an online business. You have to do this. You have to do that. And for me, that's not necessarily the case because everyone's different. Everyone has their own intrinsic values. We'll get to self-determination theory, et cetera, in a bit. Yeah, for me, the important thing here is it's about knowing you. So coming back to that, that first thing, it's knowing you and what's important to you. So we get told, or on my Facebook feed, my LinkedIn's even worse at the moment. I'm always getting these in my inbox. Excuse me. Is Adam, want to grow your online business? Well, I don't even have an online business, so why would I want to grow it? Yet people just make these assumptions. That I want to be an entrepreneur or fitness people want to be entrepreneurs and live in Dubai and have an online platform, which if you do, great. However, it's not necessarily the natural progression for a personal trainer. So that's what I want to get into a little bit now, I guess, Bobby, is this idea that being an entrepreneur, you know what, is actually great and it can be really fulfilling and it can be brilliant for the right person. Being an entrepreneur in, an, in a gym chain could be devastating. For, for lots of reasons and vice versa. That entrepreneur that wants to be an entrepreneur because they don't understand that actually being an entrepreneur is the right thing for them. So you mentioned the VIA for anyone listening. If you Google VIA, there is actually a free assessment that you can do for your strengths. And it's really, really good, quite in depth for free, free assessments. So I'd highly recommend that. So let's just dig into this with this idea, entrepreneur versus entrepreneur. And in particular, from your experience over the last 20, 30 years, what skills, traits make a good entrepreneur and make a good intrapreneur? Well, the obvious one is work ethic. And I think work ethic is overused because 
if you're committed to what you do, there's a lot of people who have work ethic. We, 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 love, we, we love to use that to dismiss people. Well, they're not where, where another person is. Well, they probably just don't work as hard. We all know a lot of people who work. I, I, I work within a company right now where people work 80 hours a week, brutally hard, and they make an enormous difference in the lives of people who will never know their name. They'll never read a book written by them, but their lives are so much better. Their families are so much more secure and protected because of the work that these people do. So let's assume that everyone who is in the right place is working very hard. Just, just as a mental exercise. So aside from work ethic, there's also strategy. There's also a tolerance for risk and uncertainty. There's being able to make connections and networks to bring that strategy to fruition. There's marketing, there's operations. There's so, there's so many things that need to be in place. And a lot of times, do you have the right partnerships or the right skill sets, or do you even have the right frame of mind to develop those skill sets? There are certain skill sets that I could work on for my entire life. And even though I could get better at them, I'll still be just about average where there are other things where if I work on this, I could become quite good. So I have, I have a friend of mine and she runs one of one of the top schools for autistic children in this country. She is amazingly inspiring. She has a love of learning, a depth of knowledge, an ability to connect and galvanize, seek out, find therapists that are more than just qualified. They have this it factor, bring them together, develop them as a team. Her business partner is none of that, but her business partner is incredible at numbers, operations, efficiency. If either one of them left the company tomorrow, the company would fold because neither of them can become the other person. So it's also a matter of understanding partnerships because we, we tend to talk about doing it all yourself. Sometimes it's a completely different DNA between someone who is the visionary and, and, and the trainer and the developer and somebody who is running more of the operational, logistical, financial aspects of a business. So if you're not that person, you need to know about that and you need to know about where to find those people. So it's, it's do you see yourself thriving in an environment where you're working within a structure that has already been created for you, like an organization. Of course, you can influence that structure within it. Or are you somebody who wants the freedom, who, who can deal with the enormous amount of risk in comparison of starting your own thing? Yeah. I think for me, that idea of risk and uncertainty is the, one of the key differentiators between that entrepreneur and entrepreneur. An example being is I became self-employed at 24. So most of my, my professional life, I've been self-employed. I've been always comfortable with risk. And in fact, I've seen risk as opportunity. I've seen it as excitement. I see it as, as potential. And I, I, I wouldn't say, and I, I would possibly say I thrive on it. My parents, when I became self-employed, thought it was the worst thing I could ever do. My dad had always been in employment. 
And my brother grew up very similar to my brother. I don't know if you know, Bobby, he's also in the health fitness world. And he had, he's changed now. Yeah. At that time, so he's a few years younger than me, for him, risk and uncertainty was the worst thing. He, he knew the last pennies in his bank account every day of the week. He loved the certainty of knowing what was happening tomorrow. So the thought of him becoming a self-employed PT was the worst thing possible. Hence why he built a career within and the time Virgin. I, on the other hand, love the idea of risk. I saw it as a challenge and, and how I can learn things and grow. And I love the idea of waking up each day, not really knowing what's about to happen. And, and that's just to highlight a point that, yeah, it's just knowing what you enjoy, what you thrive and what you'll grow with versus what you actually would resent. And my brother and I, two different, very different ways of getting that. Yeah. Do this. I did it at the time. We're doing the same thing. And, and here's the thing that I want to drive home. There is nothing wrong with either one. We I, tend to moralize things in our society where if you're one type of person, you're heroic, where if you're another type of person, you're weak and absolutely tragic. That's a manipulation game. You're being manipulated. When somebody says there is one set of attributes and one career path or, or one way forward for absolutely everybody, they're either delusional, they've joined some type of cult, or they're trying to sell you something. And they're probably waiting in your inbox on LinkedIn right now. <laughs> both, both, because here's the thing. Neither, neither person could survive without one another. Like I I've read, I've read posts. I'm, I'm, I don't even have a single social media app on my mobile phone anymore. That's how connected I am to social media, but I've read posts where people are saying, well, should employees even get paid more money? How, how valuable are employees? Because the entrepreneur is the one who's taken all the risks. You're providing the opportunity and you have all these people, like thousands of responses going, yeah, you know, like, like employees, oh, they suck being an entrepreneur. First of all, most of you probably have more month at the end of your money. Let's be honest. Every single person responding to this is not a super successful, financially independent entrepreneur. You're struggling, you're terrified, and you're grappling on, yeah, if I only think like the person who's writing this post right now, one day I'll be there if I'm just obnoxious and dismissive as, as that individual. Number two, the individual writing this, you don't have a lot of employees because that's great. You could say, you could say to your team of three employees, well, the reason why this business does well is because I'm here and I'm so smart and I'm so hardworking and I've developed. And you know what? There's a lot of truth to that. If you're running a company that's still in existence, it's because of so many attributes that you have. But when you start growing your business to a few hundred employees, a few thousand employees, tens of thousands employees. Well, unless you're in an organization that size, you're picking up every customer inquiry, you're making every sale, you're dealing with every complaint. Guess what? It's your employees. And, I, and I've, I've heard quote unquote leaders saying, well, the reason why I'm in leadership is, is not because it's a privilege. I have earned it. They haven't. Wow. So you're basically saying that you're the most capable person on your team. There's nobody on your team that is significantly better in the job that you hired them for than you would be. Well, guess what? You suck as a leader. You suck as a leader and you are part of a cancer that's destroying small businesses and corporations globally, but you're too arrogant to realize that you're the root cause. Don't moralize. 
that I've had companies and I'm not, I'm not a great entrepreneur, but I've had good partners. So I've been able to have my own organizations in the past. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, every time I can look back at a project that I've been in where it went really well and I got a lot of credit, it was, it, it was at least 80% my team, 20% me. And I'm being a little bit self-absorbed right now because it was probably a greater ratio in their favor. The only thing I did well was be able to spot them, bring them together and integrate their talents to where they can really create something that was in line with our vision. So it, it, there's great entrepreneurs after a certain point. You can't get on without great entrepreneurs mm. and great entrepreneurs are dependent upon entrepreneurs that create that initial opportunity. So it is a symbiotic relationship and you know, there's horrible entrepreneurs, horrible entrepreneurs, but then there, there are those people, like I was talking about, like in my business who to the families, they impact they're nameless, faceless, thankless, but without them, you would notice because they, they make an extraordinary impact every day. Love it, Bobby. Absolutely love it. I think I would suggest the takeaway this is from that is that if you are that entrepreneur and you're comfortable and you're happy and you're helping those others, maybe thanklessly in an organization, the next step isn't to become an entrepreneur. It isn't to step outside that organization necessarily. And that's the narrative we hear so often on social media. You have to be an entrepreneur is the next step. No, it's not. Do what. Well, how many CEOs are working in companies they didn't start? They're yeah. entrepreneurs. Yeah, totally. They're employees. Yeah. Totally. Totally. So I think, yeah, just, just remember that. Is that there's nothing wrong with working in an organization. It's cool. And there's also nothing wrong with being an entrepreneur. It's what works for you. It what gets you excited every morning we get out of bed and makes you happy. And that's the key thing, what works for you. Cool. Okay, so coming a lot of ground here, loving it. The conversation is, is deep, deep. I'll be absolutely loving this. I think what I want to do now, though, start to move on a little bit. So we've covered the three ideas. And if real quickly, actually just one, one note to those listening, is if you do want to talk about this idea of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship, there's, I don't know if you've read the book, Bobby, there's a book I would recommend called The E-Myth, which goes into this in great depth, mm -hmm. which Gerber. I, I, yeah, really good book. I would recommend anyone who is thinking about starting out on their own would definitely read that before you do, because it might influence you in one way or the other. So have a read of the email. So Bobby, just real quick summary, what were your three key takeaways for every PT to put into practice? Three, t the three key tips you had just then. Can you remember them? I think it was know yourself. Yep. Simply put. Yep. Number two is engage in a commitment to continual learning and self-reinvention. Yep. And the third one is create and keep a customer customer at the heart of everything you do. Yeah. And I think it was Dr. John Berardi speaks about being, as you said, client centered versus coach centered. And what he means by that is this idea that instead of a lot of the time, because we have the competency and the skill set, we focus, we like to show our competency to our clients. It's all about what we can do for them versus putting them at the center of everything we do. And I think that's the key thing. So yeah, be be client-centered. Well, I, I know it probably goes outside the scope of this podcast, but if you truly are coaching, you have no choice but to be client-centered. Because yes. a lot of times we use the word coaching synonymously with many other things that we're doing that's not coaching. 
Yeah, totally. So yeah, cool. Okay, let's move on a little bit then. I want to have a little bit more fun now in terms of some questions I'm going to throw at you that we know where it's going to go. So I'm going to give you a question and you have to give me an answer where there's an exercise that you do or don't enjoy and there's a, a question associated with that. So it's becoming a bit of a, a theme now in the podcast. So I know you, from what I've seen in recent years, you kind of got back into your training and you're lifting a little bit. Or if I could be wrong there yet. I think you have. You've always had quite big guns. So I know you do like to lift a little bit. So if you kind of do one exercise, you've got to get into the gym, you've got like 10 or 15 minutes to train. You can do one exercise. It's just going to be bang for your buck. Deadlifts or squats? Oh, I would do squats. Squats. Okay, so this is an interesting one for you because you've just told me that you haven't got much much uh, social media on your po- on your phone. So what, in your opinion, is the best software or app in the fitness industry at the moment? Have you come across or used much software? So to yeah, help... I don't think... Clients. I should say. Man, you know, I, I don't know if I have the level of competence around tech to answer that reliably. Okay, I'm going to give you a different question. I did think that as I was asking it. Let's go to a different question then, which was the dead. <laughs> What's the future of PT? And I want you to do this though, as succinctly as possible. Because I know we could literally have several beers over this, this question. What's the future of PT? I think the PT industry is, no, listen to me making predictions, is going to divide into two sectors. One is going to go the path of the sensationalized influencer on social media, that that train is not slowing down anytime soon. Mm-hmm. The other end is going to encompass, but also transcend what fitness has traditionally been and go into the domain of wellness. Okay, lovely, very succinct. How do you, in your opinion, define wellness then, Bobby? What, what? I define wellness as being able to under, understand exactly what is resonant and most meaningful to you and then develop the emotional, social, behavioral, cognitive, and physical capacities to immerse yourself in the fulfillment of it. Love it. Okay. And with that in mind, I know that you're, you kind of removed from the fitness industry in the last few years. Are you aware of any courses that, that, that might help a personal trainer understand the world of wellness more effectively? You know, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because one of my coaching certifications comes from well coaches. I think well coaches is a brilliant place to start because they're, they're rooted in well being. They're also rooted in coaching, which draws out more than it seeks to assertively put in to someone. I I know other organizations, NASM has a behavior change course. The American Council on Exercises is working quite diligently to constantly develop their coaching platforms. So there's there's a lot of choices. There's a lot of alternatives, but I I love the coaching-based certifications that focus on health and and wellness. Well coaches would be at the top of my list right now. I, I, to be honest, I've not heard of well coaches, so I'm going to have to have a little Google of that. Okay. You've mentioned, you've used the word coach a lot. I've used it a bit as well. And just for those listeners out there is how would you define coaching? What is coaching? Because again, it's becoming more popular yet. Not everyone, as you rightly said, we have 
a health coach, we have fitness coach, we have sports coaches, we have coaches. So when you talk about coaching, what do you mean by that? Coaches are, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of ways to define it, but coaches are individuals that create an environment and employ certain empirical-based models and skill sets that give people resources so they can be at their most resourceful in resolving ambivalence and identifying intrinsic motivations that allow them to have what it is that they truly want. Of course, that's one of the best definitions of a coach that I've come across. I'm going to have to rewind this and write that down, I think, Bobby, and learn that one. I love that. That's brilliant. Okay. I'm going to listen to it and write it down then as well. <laughs> right. I'm going to ask you one more question then. Let's say if you go into the gym, it's super busy, not much kit going. Do you choose dumbbells or kettlebells? Okay. How? E either, either or. I, lo I love both of them. I know that's a pop out, what I don't choose is, and, and this is, this is not bashing selectorized equipment, but I, I definitely don't choose a Smith machine. I definitely avoid things with a fixed path of motion, mm -hmm. mostly because I am a moron. And years ago, people associate machines as being safe, <laughs> but there's, there, there's a lot neurophysiologically, there's a lot mechanically that goes into that. I detached my left pec going into a gym back in my mid forties shows how old I am when the gym was really busy. And I was like, Oh, screw it. I'm just going to lift really heavy today when I was overtrained, fatigued and totally went off script. Cause I was so frustrated that the gym was so packed that I couldn't get a hold of any dumbbells, kettlebells. There was no open space. So I could tell you what I wouldn't gravitate towards. Okay. with a little bit more certainty than what I would gravitate towards. Because if, if you've got something that allows for a free path of motion and right. a little bit of creativity, well, you have a lot of options there and, and a lot of them work. Okay. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to throw a question at you then completely unrelated to, to your answer because there wasn't really an answer in that right. to the question. That, that, that was my way of answering a question without actually <laughs> answering the question. I think that I therefore don't give you another question is the goal there, I'm guessing. Do you believe a PT should specialize or generalize? I believe every great specialist was once a great generalist. I, I, I think the key there, and this, this goes with a lot of skill sets. I know we're not going to dive into why. Start broad. And as you start to learn how the market responds, where your own natural areas of competence and interest lie, start to deepen that funnel. Love start, it. start broad, go more narrow. Very simple, very, very profound advice there. Great stuff, Bobby. Okay, last question for today. Cold baths, cold tubs, sauna is very on trend at the moment. You can't go on social media without seeing someone in a cold tub. If you had to choose, Bobby, are you a cold tub man or a sauna man? Sauna. Sauna, okay. So you're in your sauna. It's the end of the day. You had a nice hard day's work. You're chilling out in the sauna. You've got three people that you wanted to enjoy great deep conversation with from the world of health and fitness. Who would they be and why? Well, I've been socially distancing now since I was nine. So I'm, I'm not keen on chatting to people in the sauna, but... I think 
in the fitness industry. Okay. Yeah. Wow. They, they're kind of on the fringes of the fitness industry. Okay. But Keep maybe, maybe Tiffany Cook in a room with Cam McDonald and, um, and Paul Taylor. That's a horrifying thought, especially for Tiffany Cook, Cam McDonald, and Paul Taylor. But I'm, yeah, that 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 would that would be that would be a wild conversation, actually. It would be. And I'm familiar with all of those those people. Yep, the audience might not be. So just maybe us insight into who they are and why you'd want to be in the sauna with them. Tiffany Cook is a fighter and podcaster and gym owner, a for, former gym owner out of Melbourne, Australia. Actually, they're all out of Melbourne, which I is really. That. Why do I want to? Why do I want to take a sauna with so many people from Melbourne? What is okay? I, I think I need to call my physician after this. I've got issues. But uh, Cam McDonald works with PhD sixty. He deals with the field of epigenetics, which I'm very interested in because of my complete rejection of a, a rigid classification of people without understanding all of the nuances that make them the individual that they are. Uh, Paul Taylor has a diversified background, military background. He's a physiologist. He's a neuroscientist. He's probably one of the most fun and dangerous people at a dinner party. So really interesting friend, former former business partner of, of mine as well. Okay, cool. Thank you. So there we go. But we've, we've come to the end. I mean, we could, I know we could literally talk for hours. I have no doubts about that. However, I wanted to keep it short. Keep it punchy, get some really key points across. So I think we've achieved that today. So first of all, thank you so much for your time, Bobby. It's been an absolute privilege interviewing you. I think it's the first time we kind of been on the other side as it were. So absolutely brilliant to do this. Really loved it. I'm hoping for everyone listening as well. You've taken so much from that. There's some brilliant takeaways. There's lots of stuff that maybe you're unfamiliar with. I'd highly recommend just jumping on and Googling it if you're unaware of things like self-determination theory and some of the other theories and people that Bobby's mentioned, there's, there's some great stuff to be read about around those topics. So Bobby, thank you so much for your time today. If anyone does have any questions for you, I know you're not on social media on your phone. Do you have any platform that you would prefer people to reach out to you on? Well, I've got a couple of websites. Uh, one is the selfhelpantidote.com. The other is robertcappuccio.com. So either, either one of those. Yeah. Any questions for Bobby, just drop him a line on there. I'm sure he'll get back to you as soon as he can. So once again, Bobby, thanks for your time today. It's been brilliant. And maybe we'll get you back on for another podcast on season two or three, maybe, and dig a little bit deeper into a few of those things. So thank you, Bobby. And thank you, everyone, for listening. It's been a great talk today. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, Adam here. Firstly, a big thanks to all of you for listening to this episode. I hope you got some great learnings from it and now it's time to go and apply them. A massive thanks to Bobby Cappuccio for sharing his experiences so openly to help you grow and thrive. Please do go and give him a follow on the usual social media platforms. Thanks also to F-Cubed Fitness and Mia Bodytech for sponsoring the show. If you enjoyed and learned from the show, then please do like and subscribe, share and review the podcast to help it grow and reach others who will benefit from the insights of the amazing guests. And if you have anyone you would like me to chat with, DM me on Instagram at AdamDanielMBA and I'll see what I can do. Next week will be an awesome conversation with Rachel Holmes. Until then, keep learning, growing and thriving.